Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is a fish enthusiast, really. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, yeah, I love I love fish. I love eating fish. Uh, I love choking on fish. I love eating a big piece of pumpernickel bread to clear my throat of fish bones. Totally separate from any of the quality of the movie or anything. A, that story yeah. made me want to throw up. I assume that's the purpose. <laughs> of course it does. But is. like, also, yeah. can that can any of those things happen? I don't know. I've never eaten soul. I don't know what soul. Like, it may it may you may be surprised to learn soul is not a fish that I've ever encountered in my life. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's an Atlantic. Very fish. small bones. I believe it's an Atlantic fish. Uh, very small bones. Uh, presumably, could get stuck in your throat. Uh, eating bread you? to clear your throat of fish bones does not feel doesn't feel, I don't feel real, like that's right? a thing. But I don't know. Yeah. Also, it seems like real, counterproductive but I don't because I I don't think you're supposed to put them inside you. I think you're supposed to take them out, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And then you just you get this wad of bread with fish bones in it, pass it through your guts. Uh, yeah, probably not great. No, I feel like that. I feel like that guy was doomed to die. Reg- I mean, he's still alive, obviously, but like I feel like. Right, I feel right, like that's right. a recipe. Eventually, that, that motherfucker's toast. He's going to perforate a bowel and I do. he's doomed. My favorite part of this movie is that that story ends with uh, Grandpa had to go away for a little bit as if as if it's euphemistically he's being told that Grandpa has died right. because he choked to death on the... And then, and then we come in. He gets back to his apartment and Grandpa's there. I just... I really it do It was very good. Bit. Like, it's I will really say that bit. that entire reveal yeah. structure was... Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It was very, very good because they don't they they give you, you you find out he's on a radio is a bit of a surprise. Which like, Rafe will say, yeah. "Cool it, man. Like, put your dick back right. in your pants. It's not that amazing." <laughs> Doesn't talk about the fact that the reveal of Grandpa being alive is a million times better because Nicholson does a very really good is. job of selling the fact that Grandpa is dead. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Yeah, you can. We do a non-Criterion film. Our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. And yeah, we just have some fun over there. You know, It's nice to, you know, when we're going through this big, long list of movies that we have no control over what's next, other than the fact that 10 years ago we made a choice to go through the list systematically. I, I mean, it was the only it's, choice because, um, yeah, what else, what other list on earth would allow right. us to never have an end to our podcast? <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. No other list grows fast enough Yeah, for us uh, to to have utilized it in such a Sisyphean way that uh, we will we will die, hopefully choking to death on fish Alternatively, uh, we'll never die. Maybe, yeah. We'll maybe just, we'll be ghosts. This maybe is this is our unfinished the key business. To, 
This will be our unfinished. It will certainly be unfinished business. Whether or not that is unfinished business that uh, changes us to this mortal plane or not, we'll figure out later on. But uh, uh, the week after Pat and I die, if there's a new episode of Lost in Criterion, don't listen to it. <laughs> are you are you presuming that you and I will be angry souls that will somehow like ring somebody if you listen to the post the post-mortem episode of lost in criterion you will have to take over lost in criterion within seven days uh, <laughs> it's like just, it's not like it's it's a haunting in a in a manner of speaking yeah anyway less bad is our uh patreon bonus content where you aren't compelled to record a podcast though you can, you can if, if you, you want, want because occasionally yeah occasionally if a supporter suggests a movie for our list and it wins we invite them if the timing works out to be on the podcast and talk to us about a movie they like and we love talking about movies people like with them uh because that's just fun it's just fun to do that there are 67 i think bonus episodes right now you can go uh listen to all those really wide range of movies from critters 2 to Malay's god's country that's all the one dollar mark a little above that at five dollars we like to thank those people on air for helping us keep going a little bit more. Thank you so much to our $5 supporters, Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Above that, our top tier for $10 and above supporters is something that is pretty dang special, I think. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and mail it off once a month with a personalized thank you note to our $10 and above supporters also like to thank those folks on air, and thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Nina Bojnack, Jason Westhaver, Tracy McGrath, and Patrick Yako yes, thank you for your you. $10 and above support. I would like to amend that and say I claim to make a postcard based on the, because it is the 13th that I yeah. have not started yet. It has been a you rough You haven't, month. and you really need to. Yeah, uh, It has been a rough You should do that months. this week. So, yes, I, am, yeah. I will be starting yeah. soon. I hope you do. If you want to check out those past postcards or uh, bypass postcards, if you are a supporter and really loved one and think that your grandma would like a copy as well, I, she does. Head over to redbubble.com. She, she definitely wants one. What what says also, happy birthday better more often. than uh, what I think is quite a nice picture of Gary Oldman, actually. It's actually one of my favorites. Yeah. I recommend that one. Your mother will think, a good she, or your grandmother will think she's, he's a very attractive man. Yeah. Head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can find that Gary Goldman postcard, and you can even buy it as a greeting card so you can write your grandmother a long happy birthday note and update her on your life. Yeah. She enjoys it. Con- and she enjoys Gary yeah. Oldman. Talk to Almost you certainly. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't, right? I mean. <laughs> yes. Uh, most of the past postcards are up on Redbubble. Uh, two caveats to that. A few of them have been challenged by rights holders, and Redbubble refuses to uh, make a fair use argument. I, what uh, blows my mind it. is just go on Redbubble for five seconds. It's nothing. It's oh, yeah. wall-to-wall Why? copyright infringement. Right, right. There there are people who just sell stickers that are criterion. Covers. Just straight uh, up. Just <laughs> unmodified in any capacity. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real wild list. And for some reason we're the, we're the people who actually get caught. Uh, but yeah, fun times. Also, another caveat is that I'm just, I'm really behind on uploading them. So there's like six months I need to upload. I, I keep, I, I ch- every time uh, we talk about it, I check just kind of hoping that some of the really good ones recently, which yeah, I, they don't all have to be up there, haven't but done there's some yet. good ones in there. Some real bangers. Yeah. I'll get them up at some point. Eh. Yeah. 
Anyway, thank you to everyone who has purchased anything off that Redbubble. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, yeah. But, you know, uh, the Redbubble basically only exists to allow people who aren't our $10 supporters to uh, to see Pat's art as well. Uh and purchase it if they feel so uh, so inclined, and plenty of people have, and we're greatly, greatly appreciative of that. Also, of course, greatly appreciative of all our Patreon supporters, and thank you also to you for listening. Pat, what? this week we are finally, Fucking finally. Hell, I am so happy. We've been doing this box set for Finishing what, up. seven years or something? Yeah. Seven years, yeah, something like seven years. We are finally finishing up the America Lost and Found, the BBS story box set that started back at head, spine number 544, and now is finishing up with the King of Marvin Gardens, spine number 550. Uh, Both head and the King of Marvin Gardens, as well as five easy pieces in the middle, all directed by Bob Rafelson, who is one of the bees of BBS. And, yeah, uh, is a talking head on nearly every single one of these really, movies. In bonus really, really likes to talk about his movies. Like a lot. Really loves talking about his movies. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we've watched all, the, all of the BBS films now. This is our last one. The BBS box set is a collection of what's called New Hollywood, early New Hollywood stuff. What sets BBS apart from other uh, films of its time is that while BBS was an indie studio who basically uh, acted autonomously, they were released under Columbia Pictures. Uh, Here's a thing. This movie, The King of Marvin Gardens, does not have Columbia Insignia on the print at all. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Yeah. No... No production notes that I can find to say that there was a problem or that Columbia decided that this they didn't like this movie. It is the final of the contracted movies. There is one more BBS film released, and we watched it many years ago. It is the documentary Hearts and Minds that is not released under Columbia. Uh, if I remember correctly, after Easy Rider, the contract with Columbia was supposed to be for seven more films, and this is only the fifth film huh. out of that set. So something happened, right. uh, and and given our reaction to the last few films, with the exception of last week, because Last Picture Show was a phenomenal movie, uh-huh. um. I wouldn't be surprised if Columbia was a little reticent. Just sort to of go, like uh, decided to write to the continue whole, this the relationship. Whole thing off. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Well, that's where things get kind of weird. Was I actually generally liked this movie? Oh yeah, and yeah. so no, I'm I a do bit like this shocked movie. that like they didn't pick this one up because this is the one that feels most like I don't know, like the most sort of coherently constructed actual film. Yeah, uh, and and. I don't know. I, I don't know why they wouldn't want it. Honestly speaking, I can't think of a reason. Yeah, I know. I know you just like it because Scatman Crothers shows up. That's part of it. We all love that. Scatman is actually Crothers. a big There's part of it. Wrong but with that. The, I will. I can. Yeah. I can sum up my reasons very, very succinctly. If you would like to hear them. Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's start with that. I like Jack Nicholson doing anything that is not Jack Nicholson. 
Yes. Jack Nicholson is a very a good actor when he is pushed into any role that is not his weird, sneering, quote-unquote, charm. Yeah. He's excellent in any. He makes an excellent bad guy. He makes an excellent nerd. Mm-hmm. The only mm-hmm. time, the thing, but his default position is that what, what people keep referring to as charming throughout all the yeah. documentary material. That we just find swarmy. Let's say it's, yeah. ho- it's worse than swarmy. It feels rapey in just such a deep, deep, upsetting way. The sneering yeah. charm that is like, quote unquote, charm that is, that is just, it feels gross. It makes me want to like take a shower every time I see him do it, right? Um, right. And right. It, people, Which was him in Five Easy Pieces. Right. Um, yeah. all, the, all the movies where he's in charge of himself, that's just what he does. That's his default position. Um, yeah. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Right. Anytime he's pushed beyond and, that, know, this is, he does excellently. Right. And that's why he's interesting in Easy Rider. Yes. I don't love that's his character in Easy in Rider this. just because that, but that's not his fault. That That is a well, right. weirdly constructed character fault. that I do yeah. not like, but that's yeah. not, but he does a good job of it. Um, I like him in this movie. I think he's, I think he's very good yeah. in this movie. His acting is. Yeah. Clean it, 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 you so you you really feel the characters be is alive. It's I love it. There is a story, and I don't think Rafelson confirms this in any of the bonus material, but there is a story that uh, Nicholson and Bruce Dern were originally cast for the opposite roles, with Nicholson as Jason, right, and Bruce Dern as David, um, and. I could see that, but it would be Nicholson playing closer to that Nicholson that right. you don't like. Yes. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, I'm not familiar enough with Dern, uh, with Dern broadly to, to sort of typecast him in my brain at all. Um, you know, we saw him in Drive, he said, as the basketball coach where he was not, he was not a nerd by any means. He was, he was a bombastic <laughs> basketball right. coach. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, this is this is an actor's movie, and everyone is phenomenally cast and acts very well, right? Uh, including Crothers here, who this is really Crothers' first dramatic role, uh, and it's Crothers' first role with Nicholson, who he would go on to star in, I think, four movies yeah. with. Uh, and uh, he, he's very good. Like it's it's his. Yeah, I will say that. Like in general, I I this might actually be my favorite of the BBS movies we've watched. All the characters yeah. are really clearly and like well drawn. Like they've got nuance to them, but like just the other movies are more muddled. Like this is just like yeah. I feel like maybe people like maybe cooled it with the drugs a little bit. I don't know. Like it's just like there's like a <laughs> maybe, there's maybe. a feeling of coherence here that just doesn't exist. It like obviously head doesn't need that uh, because that's right. not what head is. Uh, but right. if I if you gun to my head I would pick this over Easy Rider a million times over like this is just a better movie yeah I think that's true uh, you know if I wanted if I wanted to rank all seven of these movies first off there'd be there's no one coherent criteria that I could rank them by right that's well I mean head I'm, is my favorite I mean, I'm ranking them as purely out there based as on like what would yeah. I like to see again yeah um yeah and I'd watch this again I'd watch I'd watch uh uh Last Picture Show again. I think it's a phenomenal movie, and we'll, I uh, I, th- I agree. And but uh, like, I, oh, and I know. Go ahead. I know you didn't, but I also really loved uh, a safe place. 
I thought a safe place would be worth revisiting. Yeah, I mean, for I think, but. for you know, I mean, I've already kind of blinked it out of We my don't head. need to argue a safe yes, place. Yes, yeah, again. I mean, yeah, but, so. like, I, I, I would say, I don't know. Like, this is just my, I didn't, I didn't, I thought safe place was weird and interesting, but, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Just again, Jack think, Nicholson is, like, this nerd character is, is so much more compelling yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's considering he plays what we think of as a stereotypical Jack Nicholson role in a safe place, which is the last time we saw yes. him. Uh and in Five Easy Pieces where he's the star in such a role. Um yeah, we've just seen too much too much Jack Nicholson in the last seven weeks. Um right. politically, BBS is in an interesting position here there in in the broad essay about bbs's entire history that's included with this box set uh there is a there's a quote and i don't know how much hyperbole is in it uh that people were getting shot in the bbs office <laughs> um uh again i don't know how much hyperbole there is but bbs at this time were uh, supporting the Black Panthers very openly and like allowing Black Panthers to use their offices as organizing space. Um, they're upping the anti-Vietnam stuff and the, uh, which we really haven't seen pop up in the right, movies right, right. at all, right? Um, but uh, uh, they are openly defenders of Daniel Ellsberg uh, they are, uh, in fact, the movie that became Hearts and Minds was, uh, seem, seems to have started as, uh, a documentary about Ellsberg and the Pentagon Papers. Um, so they're, they're, they're getting more politically interesting behind the scenes hmm. than we've alluded to previously. Uh, Rafelson apparently refers to those last days as a joyous closing of the door <laughs> and uh, stresses that all of the BBS guys remain friends and that they decided to quit while they were ahead is what the essay right. says. I mean, um, I, I, I would say that if you kind of look at what we what we cover here, we, we've encountered this with like like art, you know, like uh, French New Wave stuff before and some of that other stuff, you know, that we've encountered. It, it does sort of feel to me like there's a sort of limit to how long these sort of collaborations they have a sort of um yeah a lifespan like different Na- different people yeah. want to go a in natural dissolving yeah. point and that I think yeah. that's normal they just want to go in different directions they've got different right. ideas they want to try different stuff yeah unlike say the Godard and Gorin collaborations that you're talking about with the French New Wave stuff Tababian and 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 that era of their work. I get the feeling from that that Gorin wanted to be more extreme than Godard wanted right, to be right, right. by the end of it, and that's sort of why they broke apart. With BBS, it just seems like they they thought it thought the whole project had run its course in a good way. And you can, I think you um, can kind of see it, right? Like if you watch the process of what we saw in the box set, like right there's and certainly go ahead, yeah, certainly Hearts and Minds is the most politically extreme right, right. of anything they produce. And that's produced sort of and, after and I BBS keep forgetting that BBS decides to dissolve. Like right. Responsible for that is, if you ask me, is my favorite. Like, hands down. I yeah, think Hearts absolutely. and Minds is fucking phenomenal, right? It just is. 
Yeah. Right. It is outside the realm of this box set. Right, though. right, right, right. So, yeah. Right. So, so yeah. They, because they're going in that more politically interesting direction to me, I maybe would like to have seen what they might have done post that if they continued. Right. I, yeah, but I also, that. I think... I think it could go a bunch of different ways and maybe not be good. I, I think I so honestly think quitting now more likely is not than, a bad idea. Not it would not be very good because just because like right, right, right. I don't know. Like this, this feels already King of Marvin Gardens feels right on the edge of what they're in theory trying to accomplish. Like it, it's almost yeah. outside of the purview, and something like Hearts and Minds in many ways I think already is like completely outside. Um, right. Just from like a perspective of like sort of like the organization involved and, and a lot of those things that don't feel like hallmarks of the previous films. Um, whereas these, these, this feels right. like pretty close to just being a regular Hollywood film with all of the BBS stuff. There's the balance between what was new at the time and what feels like a normal Hollywood film to us watching them 50 right, right. years later. Right. But I think uh, but even if they played a role in that, you gotta imagine that you know, you get you get Easy Rider and then you get a sort of change in the sort of like mind space of film. Even a few years later, you're you're crossed fully into like well, this is just what Holly, Hollywood is trying to produce at this point, right? Like just by and large, this is like it's something like King of Marvin Gardens. Like when I think about films of that era, that this is kind of just the kind of film I think of. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so even if they're responsible for it, the revolution has happened already, right? Like, and so now you're just making the things that other people are making. Not that that's a bad thing, because again, I really, really like this movie. Uh, Yeah, I do. I do think that you may be lumping things together. Maybe. Uh, Yeah, I think the the late seventies is where things start to feel more like this, and we're still seventy two here. That's true. I, every um, time I saw BBS that, still I, I looked, that. I was like, but 72, this feels yeah. far more sophisticated than 72. I kept thinking right, late 70s right. when you're yeah. watching it. Um, yeah. So. No. Of course, also by the late 70s, we're, we're into the creation of the summer blockbuster. Right. You know, we've got Jaws by the, right. late, by the end of the decade. We've got Star Wars by the end of the decade. Um, so there is there's a different feel that uh, of of a new Hollywood popping up too. Right. Um, but yeah, this is of a subset of criterion films where we get to see a, uh, city on the cusp of change and a sort of snapshot of a specific time and place for a city. Uh, we've seen that with Paris. We've seen that with like New York, uh, seeing it with Atlantic city. Mm -hmm. Not as interesting, but sure. Why not? But but like but that's the thing, right? Uh, like I, you know, I understand what you're saying, but on the other hand, are you sure yeah. about that? Uh, because like you're right, maybe I'm you, not. You, I, I, because I, I get the joke and I understand, what, but like at the same time, like this is such a, a real feeling place, around yeah, the whole the it really whole movie. Is. Like no, it just right. it feels very, uh, it feels very alive in its deadness. And I think I think this is a portrait of Atlantic City that feels feels more real than current actual today Atlantic City. Right. Does. Well, that's the thing is like they kind of uh, talk about it in the documentary stuff, right? Like this is their this movie to a certain extent is like prefacing 
I, I would not say this movie is at all responsible. Well, th- that's not that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But like this movie sort of talks about like what will eventually become the sort of like re re investment in yeah. Atlantic City, but in like the worst possible way. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the essay for this film, uh, which is. Um, written by Mark Mark Lefanu, um, brings up Donald Trump as a counterexample. It's written in 2010. Okay. Brings up Donald Trump as a counterexample to Jason's plan, as Donald Trump as a person who actually bought property in this era in Atlantic City and rode through the... uh, the changeover to Casino Ro- Atlantic City ha, that happened ha, ha, by the ha, end ha. of the seventies, um, and, uh, and and made the money. Um, I'm less less interested in Fenu bringing him up, and he brings him up as like a throwaway. Uh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't dwell on Trump. He just pulls up Trump. One Jason's plan isn't to buy property in Atlantic City; he's to buy it in Hawaii. And then where where gambling was not legal then and gambling continues to not right. be legal. At least in Atlantic City, gambling gambling was legal by the end of the by the end of the seventies. Um but I am interested in that uh that makes me realize that Donald Trump was just playing Monopoly. Donald, yeah, Donald I mean, Trump yeah, that had no plans. Very good point. He was, yes. He started buying he just started buying stuff in Atlantic City because the Monopoly board had yes. it. He's like, Oh, I, I remember that from when I was a kid. Um. Yeah, I, I, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's like that. I mean, even Rafelson brings up like <laughs> Monopoly. It's it is a very like, yeah, it's kind of a very silly thing in and of itself, right? This this. Uh, well, first off, they're making an active active reference to Monopoly, not to Atlantic City in the King of Marvin Gardens, right. because Marvin Gardens, the area, is spelled with an E, not an I, in Marvin. Uh, so, so spelling it Marvin Gardens is an active reference to a copy error on Monopoly oh, on the no. on the original Monopoly boards. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in fact, that's one of the one of the proofs that uh, the guy who says he created Monopoly actually stole it is that he also <laughs> didn't catch that copy error <laughs> from the original <laughs> Quakers who. Uh, who made Monopoly as a uh, as an anti landlord game? Um, uh, yeah, the original Monopoly. It's anti capitalist. Uh, I mean, modern Monopoly, if you've ever played it, is also anti capitalist because it fucking sucks to play. It does. It does. You get it all. Does. You get um, all. All the wonderful sensations of having a landlord in. Uh, yeah. In Monopoly. Yeah. Uh but yeah, just thinking about Donald Trump saying to himself, "Oh, I'll buy, I'll buy Park Place and I'll, I'll build a hotel on it," uh, and that just being his entire his entire motivation right. for for all of his land Wait, acquisition. What's the, was, what's the was best? What's the best Monopoly. land in Monopoly? Is this one okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Jason's Jason's problem then is the capitalistic uh, alienation that we've experienced throughout all of these films. 
Uh, he lacks the power to push back against that. He thinks he's found an easy out by going to Hawaii, whereas if he actually stuck around and managed to do what he plans to do in Hawaii, but in Atlantic City, uh, it would it have solved his right. relationship issues, and he actually maybe would have made billions of dollars. I mean, uh, the, the so. funny thing about that, right, is that like the movie also doesn't know that, right? Like, you know, we're right, we're right. not talking yeah. about like, no, and like, the movie can't know that, right? Which yeah. well, I mean, and that's not always true in the movies. We, you know, movies do sort of reflexive things all the time, right? And like, this is not that, yeah. right? This is the movie doesn't know that, can't know that. Uh, so that's interesting of itself, I think. Right. And and Jason also brings up Monopoly within the text of the right. film too, right? When he first, when when we first meet him, he's like, uh, "Park Place, Marvin Gardens, it's just Monopoly out there," is what he says to his brother, right? Um. You know, so he's thinking about this as a game too, and and I think Rafelson's insistence on the outdoor scenes being very still because it reflects the Monopoly board. Maybe that's something he was thinking about at the time. Right. I don't know if that that sort of metaphor really works for me. Uh, certainly, it is a thing that was done, uh, and that is the reason he gives for it being done. Uh, so, sure. Uh, uh, I imagine that Laszlo Kovacs was like, yeah, that sounds fine, I guess, uh, right. <laughs> to most of that, because Kovacs just seems like that sort of guy. Um, and then all the interior stuff being really hard to light. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> all of the BBS interviews with Kovacs are really interesting because he's le- he is not ideologically engaged with these guys at all. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but is still a fantastic cinematographer. So, like, uh, they're just funny. Uh, and this one, this one, no, no exception. You know, by this time he's been working with all of them for a long time, right? Uh, you know, four or five years by this point. And, you know, Rafelson saying, oh, I want, I want this shot to do this. And, uh, Kovac saying, that will be impossible to light. Right, right. <laughs> and Rafelson is, fine, make it work. <laughs> And Kovacs is like, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, have at it. Why not? Um, yeah. They <laughs> they talk about how there are surreal things that happen in this movie. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of surreality of this movie takes knowing the geography of Atlantic City. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, to determine that it's surreal. Because they're, you know, like when they're running at each other on the beach or... They're in, as Ravelson points out in the bonus features, they're at vastly different parts of the beach. So we look at, we look at David and he's kind of, you know, they're under, first off, they're under the pier. Um, and a fantastic shot under the pier right. too, with the way their faces are lit. Um, but they run out from under the pier. And then when we go on David, he's at uh, one end of the beach and Jason's over at the other end of the beach. And there's like a quarter mile or more between where they're at physically in real space. Uh, but Rafelson shot it so that they look like they're beside each other because that's the backdrop he wanted in each of those shots. And that's fine. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, uh, but calling that surreal because it <laughs> doesn't really work for me because it, uh, it does require, well, I mean, to an be fair, knowledge. Like, no, I, not to be fair. I'm going to, I'm not going to say yeah. something fair. That's not what's going to happen here. Um, yeah. Rafelson really likes to do that kind of thing. 
You know yeah. what I mean? He really likes talking about how, uh, like, I don't know. Like, he just talks a real good game, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Rafelson knows how to sell himself. And, you know, he's a born salesman, really. Or at least the monkey made him into a right. salesman. And, and, so. and it's just <laughs> like, he says a lot of things throughout his, like, interviews that are sort of like, you know... Is that really true? Like, is that really like a lot of like right, really right. pumping can't himself trust up? <laughs> Absolutely cannot trust Rafelson either. Right. Especially Rafelson in retrospect. Right. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, there are more surreal moments in this movie, like when they're suddenly on horses, though also we get a background of a guy renting horses, so like it's it's not it's grounded in reality right, almost immediately because really there's a group yeah. of other people on horses behind him. Yeah. The cut to the Miss America sequence is surreal, and all of that is happening in a sort of weird dream space in a real way. Uh, so I would I would call that scene inside the convention center it's surreal. It's surreal adjacent. Um, I'll give you surreal adjacent. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, it is also just the time where all four of them are having the biggest breakdown. Right. So there's that too. But well, until the until the end. Right, which I think the murder is probably a right, bigger breakdown I, than that. What, but, which, um, one of the things that makes me happy about this movie, and this is a weird thing to say, is that I like that it ends in a murder. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't like the fact that some of the other movies we we've, we've watched didn't end in a murder. Right, I feel like they did a disservice to the movies. Uh, all movies should end in murder. Is what I'm saying. Uh I definitely disagree with that no, stance. I do agree with you about five easy pieces would have been better if uh, if it had ended in the original scripted right, yeah. way with Jack and Oakerson's character dying. Uh, yeah, I, I the, also think. The, um, yeah, no, I, I. Yeah, it's just I think. Yeah, that that was the, the big downer. One, right? That was the big yeah. one that we we identified right. as the being downer one. ending for the rest of them. I think I think within within an actual understanding of the text of Easy Rider. The ending makes sense. I think with the uh, with the extra knowledge of the outsider interpretation <laughs> of the of the Easy Rider as this uh, ode to freedom that we grew up hearing about before seeing Easy Rider, I don't think the ending makes sense. Right, right, but right. <laughs> the ending does make sense within within the actual text of the film. I like the way this movie ends just because that entire hotel room scene is so phenomenally acted in a stage play sort of way. And that ending makes sense. Right. Particularly that it doesn't. And also that's the penultimate scene, right? Because we do go back to the radio station. With, I actually, with I really, that, I do but, really, really like the way the movie ends. I, it's something about him, you know, yeah. it, it is, I guess I will give Ravelson some credit in that the ending of the movie is really, really solid. Like it is yeah. truly it, excellent. It also sort of ends, it ends in a way because we know that the way uh, David presents stories on his radio show are not completely one hundred percent true. Right. The ending also sort of suggests that this has been what we have seen is David recounting the death of his brother too. Uh, uh yeah, so, I mean that's definitely you know, a possible. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about that, but yeah, that definitely yeah. could be true. I, how much of it's actually accurate? Yeah. How much is it unreliable and narrated right. or stuff? Yeah. Of course, we can also hear what he is saying about these events that we've just seen compared to what we saw them 
and and know that there are differences there too. So you know, it's not necessarily that he has been our point of view character, unreliable narrator, despite no no narrating going on throughout the rest of this. Uh, but yeah, just that that whole hotel scene, the way it culminates, and the way she goes to try and turn off the turn off the shower afterward. Uh, just because the shower was actually stuck on in the actual right. hotel room <laughs> that they were filming in. It's also very funny, uh, but but just works so phenomenally. Um, <laughs> Ravelson's saying that Dern has the best stage death he's ever it's, seen. It's a terrible uh, or is the best death, 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 death dying actor. It's, it's not a good... It's, it's not a good really... I, I love that. <laughs> it works. The him pump, yeah. like, that's kind of where I was getting at in a lot of... Like, there was a lot of stuff yeah. like that in his, his thing where it's like, I think you're a little bit more more you're you're playing up some of what uh some of this a little bit hard yeah. man uh cuz like that that is not a very good stage death frankly. Uh it's yeah. relatively unimpressive um, I would say. It's not. But but that entire scene is acted just so phenomenally well with all of them arguing and with with uh uh <laughs> With uh, Jessica just walking into the scene right. <laughs> and not knowing what's going on, uh, and yeah, it's it really is great. I'm I'm interested in Siskel's review of this because he calls it a film where much of the film doesn't work, and and Ebert also in the quotes from from Wikipedia says that only about sixty percent of the chances it takes win, um, but. Siskel says it contains three of the best performances of the year. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else was there. Uh, but but I'm trying to... It's, it is patently obviously that he means Nicholson Dern and Ellen Burstyn. Right. But I also think Robinson's very well acted. And Scatman Crothers, while not in a lot of the movie, is also a really great uh, performance. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. Like, it's, it's, it is not... Yeah. Yeah. It is not a percentage of how much they're in the movie that we like like we just talked about last picture show where people got nominated for being in the movie for ninety seconds. Right. right? right, right. Uh so you know. Um and and yeah, well deserved too. Yeah. Crothers here, you know, he's not he's not up to no, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he got a nominee, an Oscar nomination for his stuff in this. But he's really great in this, and particularly because uh, he's you know, he's not playing against what we expect of Crothers, because you and I are familiar with Crothers' career after this, right? right. But he is definitely playing against type for uh, based uh, on what they would have thought then. of him as, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. So you know, people see Seattle and Crothers do something like this, and that's mind blowing. Period. It should be at least. Uh, so. So yeah, the fact that that Cisco even only says it has three of the best seems like a disservice to at least two actors. Right. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I would not say uh, bar barring that death sequence, which is notably yes. horrendous. Yes. Um, yes. The rest of this movie has just really top notch acting. Like this movie, like yeah, like I said before, like really well drawn characters that are very believable. I was really I and I went in with a real heavy skepticism because right the BBS box set has for the most part kind of burned me. You know what I mean? Like it, this yeah. has not been a super pleasant uh, 
you know, watching experience all in all. And I was not, I did not, I did not have high hopes. And I, this is just, this is a, this is by far the best acting in the BBS box set far and above, yeah. I think. Like, Blast Picture Show has some excellent acting in it. Don't get me wrong. But again, I feel yeah. like this acting, I think because Peter Bagdonovich was trying to, to a certain extent, like, go with a very uh, old Hollywood, um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Western style. He he wanted that kind of acting, yeah. and he got well. He got what he wanted. I I completely agree that he right. got exactly what he wanted, and he did, and it's very good. It's just that, like, yeah, it, I I have a hard time, and maybe I I'm and I'm actually a little surprised that other people didn't have a hard time when they like watched it, processing that as quote unquote good acting. It, you know what yeah. I mean? Because like that old fashioned style of acting has never felt like really good acting to me like it's it's um they did a good job of it but it's not what it i is, think of as good it acting. is certainly not it's certainly not the 70s experimental theater acting that we get in this movie. right exactly and and uh, and particularly with go ahead with yeah i was going to say particularly with bernstein right yeah, yeah. Uh, ellen bernstein's acting in this is is very reminiscent of say uh, Gina Rowlands in a Casavetes film, right? Yes, yeah, uh, and and uh, and I, it's just you know you can sort of pretty easily identify what things I like and don't like, and I really like this style of yeah. acting far, by by yeah. and large. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you know, as as already stated, Nicholson playing against type as this sort of introverted. It's just uh, something I I is. I, I, is something yeah, very he's good. very it's interesting. Just, it's and, good, and he, it, yeah, yeah, um, and he is a good actor. Uh, yeah, no, I I can complain about him. We've seen him in phenomenal roles. I, I, like I said, he's it, one yeah. of my favorite movies. He's an excellent actor yeah. when he's and, not playing the thing that he is famous for, as far as I'm concerned. Right, or at least the thing yeah. he has. Uh, w- I mean, he's also famous for that thing that with, I love. But you know, don't get me wrong. But. Right. With with the exception that when he is playing playing himself in in the very crazy way that he is himself, uh, as as I described as swarmy and you described as rapey, uh, he is just doing that as the Joker, and he is really phenomenal <laughs> doing well, that. Well, but like the, the extra layer of cartooniness really does something to right, it, right? right. Like it really helps. Yeah. Like smarmy, yeah. a bit rapey is a real different effect when you're a cartoon character <laughs> when you're dressed as a clown yeah well and, and acting and, and meant acting to be a, a, a truly in a cartoon as a cartoon right uh, there's a lot of yeah. looney tunes characters that are pretty rapey and they don't come off the same way right right because right. they're cartoon characters right i really like the dynamic between uh I've 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 already forgotten. my memory is just absolute trash. David and Jason, yeah, David and Jason, or, like, or the women, uh, and them too. Yeah. Like I, there, there's so many interesting sort of uh, like dynamics going on that that make the characters like really fun to to uh, to like watch and engage with. Like mm-hmm. I I am suspicious of any story that claims that what that is like overtly like the feminists hated it until they watched it. Uh, which, which yeah, is a thing you again, get, that's uh, pretty often. Again, I think that's Rafelson. He's a very good being hype man for himself. Not necessarily uh, a thing that's actually true. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I will say that, like, 
I really like all the sort of like things that are going on with with um with Jessica and Sally Sally, right? I'm not forgetting man, man my yeah. memory for these names of these characters yes. is real bad. And that is not the movie's fault. I did in fact get a migraine an hour after watching the special features, which basically wiped my brain. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. Sally and Jessica. Um Ellen Bernstein as Sally and uh, and Jessica played by Julianne Robinson, who this is her only film role uh, because she tragically died in her in apartment fire. Oh my god! Two years after That's, this, wow. uh, yeah. Uh, incidentally, given given the weird BBS connection, uh, that apartment fire was in Eugene, Oregon, uh, which is where Drive he said was filmed and where the waitress scene from Five Easy Pieces was filmed. Huh. Uh, this is weird that that coincidentally that's also where her apartment fire was. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is her. I think she does really well here. I have I, agree. I have read that people think she's wooden in here, and I don't think she's wooden. I think she's playing the character as written. Right, and, um, and I think, and, and, and then, I, and and I would add that, like, yes, and like, and and I think doing a good job because that sort of yeah. Mild level of emotional detachment feels very appropriate for this character, right? right. Like feels very, very real. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and being a right, I mean, just look at her character, uh, Sally, who is her stepmom. We eventually find out, maybe, um, but also, also maybe not, because that relationship is still ambiguous after they after they define it. Right. I mean, um, I I'm fairly certain of it. But, like, uh, but yeah, yeah, right. Um, and apparently in the original script they were meant to be biological mother and daughter, uh, and that. I mean, I that would have been too a level weird, of right? Like that would have been Jason, and it would have been more weird. Like, yeah. As it is, it is very yeah, weird. Yeah, I think that's fair. That would have I, that would have been probably but, a bridge too far, honestly speaking. Yeah, yeah. But but Sally thinks that Jason is going to run away with uh, with Jessica, and Jason is actually planning on running away with Jessica to Hawaii, but only to sort of use Jessica as a marketing gimmick and also as a bribe to David, more right, or less. Yes. <laughs> is is how Jason is using Jessica throughout most of the film. Um. And the fact that Je- the fact that David and Jessica never get together is really great. Actually. Yeah, it's a, it is a uh, it is a high it is a a a notable a highlight, highlight of this film. Of this film yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just I think she's really great in it. I think the when she when she interrupts David doing the late night uh, recording, I think that's a really great scene. Mm. Um, yeah. And you know, Rafelson is right that the introduction of David with the where where he's just in this black box and we don't know what's going on, and then it's interrupted by the red light flashing in the same way that the red light in universe is interrupting David's line of thought. Uh, I think that is a really phenomenally put together scene as yeah. well. Yeah, I agree. You know, there are there are a lot of really really well put together scenes in this movie. Rafelson, um, much more so than. Five easy pieces. I feel like Rafelson is uh, a good director in this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I. Yeah. I completely no. agree. Like. Yeah. Yeah. With with head, you didn't need to be a good director to make head because head's just so bombastic that anything could happen 
and it's fine, right? right. Um, obviously, a bad director could make a bad version of Head. So it does it does take as as much a steady hand as one needs to make a co- right, right. a coherently incoherent film, right? Because uh, you can definitely make an incoherently incoherent film uh, that that would not be worth watching in the way that Head is worth watching. Um, but but this movie is, uh, you know, there there are so certain incoherencies in this movie, things that maybe don't flow as well as they could, but they work within the universe. Um, and you know the well, and I again, and I would say like I would that say gets described that they, to, some they, of this, they, to a certain extent those incoherencies give the world a, a sense of texture that is that is it's actually quite important, right? Like. Um, you know, without without those inconsistencies, the world would feel too too put together to a certain extent. I I don't know if you know what I mean. Like it, and I don't even call them necessarily inconsistencies. The the mo- the world just feels a little grimy, and that's good. Yeah, right. Right. Like it, it feels and it, not. Yeah. And it is it is grimy. Right. And, and that that lack of polish is. You can never really separate a lack of polish there between, like, you know, whether it's the movie or the world that the movie exists in, right? Which is a kind of fucked up, grimy place, right? The movie is a grimy story (laughs) of a grimy place. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and weirdly enough, it is is Lewis, uh, Scatman Crothers' character's... uh, uh, mob boss, who is performing, exists in the least grimy places, right? Right. Everything's, everything he's in, that beach house is one of the nicest places we're ever in, in the entire movie. Right. And uh, and the nightclub is not, you know, it's not a grimy nightclub. It's a weird nightclub. You know, the, the, uh, the act is whoever, quite the funny Boy and weird. Who yes, pops yeah. up. The act is dumb, but like I kind of uh, love it for that too. At the same time, right? It's just so. Oh yeah, fucking like and what? The fa- and the fact that he's just standing in the doorway to the kitchen performing I, it, like to yeah, try and get like, try and get Lewis's attention yeah. or something. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal because it's very. This is a guy doing that sort of act and wanting to do it in the nightclub setting needs to be the sort of go-getter who would just start performing it as soon as he knows he's in front of, in the same room right, as the right, owner. Right, absolutely, so, yeah. So it really works out, right? Uh, and and the story, Ravelson, Ravelson sort of gets distracted really quick about talking about all the different acts that he uh, auditioned to be in the nightclub scene. Right. Uh, and gets distracted for a really good reason, though, because there's a story about how someone delivered a coffin uh, to the audition space, and and he set the coffin up in the room, and just hears uh, someone inside start to sing. I put a spell on you. It was screaming Jay Hawkins trying to trying to audition for a role in this uh, as a performer in the nightclub. Um, and obviously, you know, with uh, with the Jarmusch movies, we have a established relationship with screaming Jay Hawkins in the Criterion Collection. So to to see him pop up in a bonus feature or a story about him pop up right. in a bonus feature is uh, was really surprising and interesting. Uh, and you know there is there are certain parallels between what Jarmusch is doing in some of his films and what Rafelson is doing, particularly in this film. Right. Right. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that you know not not just the fact that it takes place entirely in a rundown hotel 
I think there are parallels between this and Mystery Train that uh, show some amount of influence. We said this the last time. I think I think probably during Five Easy Pieces or Drive, he said, with with another BBS piece from Rafelson. Uh, just the more we hear him talk, the less we like him. Period. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, true. but it is it is it is definitely much easier to hate Rafelson after we've seen a a movie we didn't like from Rafelson. Right. Uh and and with something uh, with King of Marvel Gardens, I got to admit, he's a talented guy. Yeah, uh, no, I I would not argue that against bombacity. that. Like I, I well, I think the thing about yeah. it is is that like it he is a talented guy who's a little bit overconfident in himself about like what, yeah. you know, just how amazing the thing he's making is, especially with some of the ones we we we've seen before. He is talented. I kind of um kind of wonder how much is him and how much is the cinematographer uh and some of that stuff, right? Like of course, but there's always well, that's course. always yeah, an co- issue in every in every you know, you can't separate those right. things out, not really. Um Kovacs we definitely know is super talented. Right, exactly. Right? And so, you but. know, again, that's not really a thing that is truly separable in any in any real way. Like I, I, I don't yeah. know how much we, but at the same time, I, I don't know, a lot of this movie comes down to performances. Some really, really yeah. on point, solid performances. And like, you know, he's a part of that, but, you know, so are the actors and everything else like that, right? He's talented. I, but like, also he's annoying. He's he is still annoying. <laughs> He's not. Le- he is maybe right. less annoying when when it's after a movie we liked, I guess. But also, yeah, I still don't like him. <laughs> That's fair. And you don't have to, yeah, because we'll can. never see another movie from him again. Is that is that actually true? Is that accurate? Um, that is that is you're true. Not tricking me to the current Criterion Collection, and I can't. Well, I mean, yes, you know, of given course. Given that all the, of his uh, films the possibly always exist, that they'll add seven million more movies, and some of those will be right. Uh, more Bob right. Rafelson movies. Yeah, but we're we're we've completely tapped out the entire run of BBS films. Everything released under under the BBS moniker, we've watched now. Okay. Uh, so we won't. There's no possibility of more BBS films because they just don't exist. Uh, and Rafelson uh, definitely continued directing after after this and after BBS dissolved, but uh, none of none of his future films are in the Criterion Collection currently. Uh, and it seems like, from what I've looked into, probably for good reason. They're not bad movies, and and most of them are very well reviewed, but they're not uh, they're not as interesting as the BBS era stuff. Uh, and I say that. But five easy pieces just wasn't that <laughs> that interesting to me anyway. Right, right, so, right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's also five easy pieces. We had uh, Jack Nicholson as the more bombastic brother, uh, to the point where we weren't even sure if the, his brother was actually his brother in five easy right. pieces. Like the character, we had to look up that the character shared a last name to figure out if they were related or not, because there's so many strangers in the house when he gets there right. that he didn't have to be a blood relative. Um. Uh. So there is that that familial 
family familial <laughs> relationship um in five easy pieces as well uh but obviously he, five easy pieces we're dealing with an upper class and a guy on the run from being upper class basically uh who is not not finding his way here here i don't feel like anyone's running from anything uh everyone's chasing the american dream uh ironically in a place that um to the filmmakers ironically in a place that is dying right uh to history ironically in a place that will become sort of the epitome of the american dream in that it will it will explode into a donald trump run uh mega casino city right um, within 10 years which is which and, is the and american again there's dream. no way they could see that coming yeah which is which is the the actuality of the american capitalist dream right uh is one guy gets his name on all the buildings uh and displaces a, at least one old woman in order to do it right um, uh yeah big court case quite famous uh but yeah um so you know i just while this movie is just as political as five easy pieces was certainly um in that rafelson would no doubt describe it as apolitical uh this one is dealing is economically dealing in more interesting space for me as well than five easy pieces was certainly um you know five easy pieces is about a rich guy who is continuing to use poor people in order to feel real and then discards him when they don't right. make him feel more real right <clears throat> this is a movie about hard scrabble people struggling and people who have uh far from perfect lives and are not running from even middle class perfection you know uh david's grandfather's living with him in not a huge apartment in philadelphia uh david is we get an allusion to david having been in uh a mental institution in the past right uh his brother is in and out of jail is a petty criminal who happens to uh have done some good work for a mob boss uh, who is introduced as being in jail when we see him. Right. Uh, Sally is perhaps more straightforward in that she is just a beautiful woman who has, uh, who is concerned about losing her beauty. Uh, well, I mean, she's a, that very it, poorly. It, it, she is more, she's, but at the same time, she's a, a, a woman who is worried about losing her beauty. And that has been her, primary method of self like maintenance of her life right right uh, like that is that is the yeah. only thing that uh, has kept her essentially right alive right for a considerable period of time of her control yeah, of her yeah. life right right absolutely no that is yeah uh yeah it is the economics of that beauty uh are uh or something this movie is interesting in exploring too. Right. right. You know, she's by, by things she's losing her beauty and by that manifesting in her belief and true belief by the end of it, that she is losing Jason 
uh, that makes her downfall understandable and justifiable within the narrative right. of the film. Um, her little bonfire of the vanities thing, <laughs> uh, literalizing of that phrase very much as she as she burns her uh, nice dresses and makeup to, you know, I th- obviously they are having a weird mental breakdown there. But also, I thought maybe she would come out the other side as having actually let go of that and having more control over her herself as who she is now, uh, which she doesn't. Uh, but also, it works right <laughs> that she doesn't. Um, and she's still in that. Well, still in I, that spiral. I, I like it because it, it presents this sort of where we're like, there's, that's like just burning your like vanity, your items that like are associated with their vanity is not like a. There's no like magic bullet to like. Losing a, right. a serious, Absolutely like not. getting rid of a very serious part of your like self identity, right? Like, yeah, and and I think that's a very important thing that the movie actually acknowledges that, like, yeah, that was like step one. Uh, it's not the yeah. last step, right? Like, it's not. And doing a big, doing a big show of burning a bunch of stuff, uh, to to uh, walk away right from a past self it's quitting at cold turkey in a very overt way and uh well hot turkey i guess in this instance uh-huh. but uh it just ha uh but it just doesn't uh it doesn't always work out right <laughs> and i'd say more often than not it does not work well, out. and and it can and the idea that you can but, you can quit like there's so much sort of wrapped up in that for just, her because like Again, that is also a functional part of her livelihood, right? Like, she's going to quit cold turkey being alive? I mean, that is a thing people do. But, like, you know, that's not really what she's trying to do there, right? Like, she – and then, like, what we see afterwards is is a different reaction than we've had prior, right? It it is working slightly Mm -hmm. differently now than it was, you know, earlier in the – in the in the in the movie, right? Like her interactions are she has to a certain extent given up on the idea that she is like the meal ticket for the family, for her and her her daughter, right? Right. Already. But right. but she's also fighting to not be like just thrown or like discarded as a person, right? Which is right. which is a different sort of sort of fight. Because they are you know He's actively trying. Jason's actively trying to to discard her, like right in front of her, right. And right. And and I don't think all of her reaction. Like I mean, it's a very new. I think it's a very interesting and despite how big it is, it's a very nuanced performance because, um, you know, this is she's not just reacting against like him trying to throw her away. There's also this sense of like she kind of knows what he has done, what kind of person he is in a lot of ways, like what he has done with her. And then like, he's going to just take her daughter to Hawaii and like do that same sort of shit with her. There's this sort of sense of like, you get this sort of impression that like, it's not just him ditching her. That is part of her, like sort of personal motivations, right? There's other stuff there. That that he like she's gonna break the cycle sort of to a certain extent, right? Single handedly by herself. Right. Um 
Well, she does break that cycle by. Oh yeah, no cycle. Murdering broken. the guy who's exploiting them. So yeah, yeah, uh, and and David's certainly not stepping in that role because he's going he's going back to Philadelphia to talk about it on the radio, right? Um, in his morose middle of the night. Uh, I, I, the only the one thought I had show. when I was watching that was like, I had this sort of reaction that I've had before, which is like, damn, they would put anything on the radio back then. Yes, just yes. whatever old garbage you <laughs> could th- come up with. Do you think he's doing uh, inline ad breaks where he just stops the story I for a really second? I hope so. What didn't make my grandfather choke to death was the sweet taste of Pall Mall cigarettes. Exactly. Uh, just. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just you know thinking about whatever how is how is he making money in in that radio show? It's just very interesting oh yeah, absolutely. It doesn't it, seem like something. It's, it's wild to think about, right? And of course, of course, the only people we see reacting to the content of the show are his are his family members, right? right? Who are uh, who are taking issue with the way he's uh, presenting their lives. Um. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Actually, on that note, it's very surprising to me to learn that uh, that the guy playing the grandfather uh, was an amateur actor, uh, particularly just because <laughs> he looks so much like an old Brewster. Right, right. You kind uncanny. of almost expect it to be uh, like, <laughs> find out it's just yeah. Brewster's like uncle or something. Yeah, yeah. Like an actual older relative to Bruce Stern. <laughs> yeah. He yeah, just absolutely. he looks like a time displaced old Bruce Stern. Uh what Rafelson says about uh about grandpa waking waking David up in the morning and opening that scene opening the shutters, where he said that Nicholson had to keep handing him things and taking things away from him to like guide him in the physical acting process. Um it's weird because I just I feel like the guy does very well. Yeah, his uh, his performance comes off really well. And so I yeah. kind of almost wonder like, well, you know, I I can believe that, you know, Nicholson's, you know, ha- handing him stuff, taking and like and then the result of that is a very good performance. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Yeah, I think the scene just Yeah. Yeah. It's all very good. Um There is a bit in one of the bonus features in this one where Rafelson says that uh, all the BBS productions owe Laszlo Kovacs so much. He says that maybe in a documentary on BBS, you'll hear about how much we owe him. Uh, And I had to think back, and except for when Kovacs is actually featured in those BBS documentaries. I don't think anyone. No, I don't think he's mentioned, mentioned how much any they of that material, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like this yeah, is the first time I've encountered at all in this entire set. Well, we did we did we did get interviews with him in uh in Easy Rider. Oh, that's right. He, yeah, that's He true. pops yes, up himself in Easy Rider. But particularly talking about the uh the helicopter, the final scene. Right, right, right. Uh, but you know, so much, so much. You know, Kovacs shot everything outside of uh, the New Orleans sequence in Easy Rider. So you know, he's they <laughs> Easy Rider definitely owes him a lot. Right. Um, but, uh, and he did he shoot? 
I don't think he shot uh, uh, Last Picture Show, uh, which is interesting because he did shoot. He did shoot uh, Targets, Peter Bogdanovich's first movie, and he did shoot Paper Moon, Peter Bogdanovich's next movie. But he didn't shoot Last Picture Show, uh, but did shoot a. 1971, he did shoot a Dennis Hopper movie just called The Last Movie. Wow, really? Uh, which, yeah, which is weird. Um, oh, What's Up, Doc is actually uh, Bogdanovich's next movie after this. Uh, Paper Moon was after What's Up, Doc. But also, Kovac shot What's Up, Doc. Um, so, yeah, they do owe him a lot. He shot five easy pieces. He shot Easy Rider. He shot this. Um, I think that's it from the set. Uh, but he's obviously, you know, even just right here, he's such a visual influence. Uh, and, you know, he talks, uh, Rafelson says about the under piercing, you know, I described what I wanted to Kovacs. And then when I got the dailies back was blown away by just right. how, how much better it was than what I described. <laughs> um, uh, you know, which is a rare moment of, uh, of humbleness from from Rickerson, really. Uh, But yeah, yeah. So we get... Kovacs is just such a consummate professional. And this was true of what he was talking about in Five Easy Pieces. You know, as I already said, most of what what he talks about is craft. You know, it was hard to set up the lighting in this. You know, the, the... um. I think he also talks about the windows looking empty because there were no birds outside. Rafelson talking about how they paid a guy to throw throw birds into the window frame is very silly. But uh, right, I think Rafelson even says that it he threw so, birds into the window frame. I'm not. I, I, my maybe, memory is yeah, a little unclear, but it, you know, it's yeah. I get it, right? You don't want it. Uh, it yeah. It could be very easily mistaken for a matte painting if you. <laughs> right. It's just a gray because it's just a gray sky basically. out yeah, the window. Like it's like yeah. that's really. You could have just made it a matte painting, and nobody would have cared, probably. But yeah, um, yeah, and and Rafelson also in the moment where he gives credit to Kovacs, uh, also credits Alan Bernstein and Karen Black as as people who were um, integral to all the BBS, and obviously. Karen Black's in so many of them, and Ellen Bernstein in the last in the last few, um, and they're both fantastic, and they're both, yeah, they you know, Karen Black's acting and Karen Black in the bonus features has been an absolute delight right. throughout this entire box set, um, and and Bernstein as well in the last couple of films has just been phenomenal, just for the fact that this box set has introduced me to those two actresses, uh. Thanks. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I yeah, for uh, sure. Even, it's it's even even as some of the movies treated them much more poorly than others. Right, um, right. It's been really good. Uh yeah. Also, he alludes to how much this entire box eh, BBS story owes to Harry Dean Stanton, uh, in in mentioning that Head was written in Stanton's basement. Uh we also get another I think this is at least the third instance of HD Stanton graffiti we have in one of these. Well, films. right, and they, they they make the um, point of pointing out that like that appears in like every of the one of the Jack Nicholson films or uh, basically, right? Yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah, it was in Drive. He said, and I believe, I believe it was an Easy Rider at some point. Um, but, but yeah, uh, and I love it. I love a Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, right. I mean, who doesn't? Right. Yeah, Paris, Texas is a phenomenal movie. It's one of his best roles, but he's just good. He's just a good actor. Yes, <laughs> he's really great. Um, Paris, Texas is one of the one of our uh, red bubble. Yes, you could go get challenged. a Paris, Texas uh, postcard if you would like. Uh, no, oh, you no, can't. Shit. No, you can't. Uh, it's taken email down. Us. Yeah, yeah. If you want the Paris, Texas postcard, shit, I go. forgot that. Like, you have to go through the Harry back Dean channels. Stanton fucking yeah. copyright filed us. Damn yeah, it! Yeah, it wasn't Dean. Stanton. It wasn't Stanton. It was the. Uh, it was the director. I blame him directly. This. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, ah, don't, don't. Harry Dean Stanton can do nothing wrong. Also, he's dead. So I mean, at this point, yeah, no. So that is doubly true. What you said is is a hundred percent accurate. Yeah, at this right. point, he is he can't do anything. Doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh He has slipped the mortal yeah. coil, and now he's um, free from from sin. So good for him. <laughs> yeah. Harry Dean Stanton would argue he was always free from sin, but sure. Um, uh, man was famously atheistic. Right. No, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Most of most of the Kovac stuff from this one is him talking about how hard it was to light the scenes in the way that Rafelson wanted right. him to light the scenes, which is just. Which I, yeah, I, I yeah, really, I just, do love, I, that is a, that is a personal like joy of mine is is anytime a a cinematographer is is given the opportunity to be like interviewed and they use their time to complain not even complain but like sort of like yeah hey here's here's how hard this was to do i don't know that's always just very enjoyable for me right yeah no it's the materiality of the art that is cinematography is interesting yeah. to me. And Kovacs is someone who approaches it from that material stance. He shoots a thing that looks beautiful, but everything we hear him talk about is how difficult it was to shoot this, how he had to hang off a helicopter to get the right. shot in Easy Rider uh, that kept almost crashing. <laughs> and uh, and how how just the lighting was so so hard in this. But it's, you know... What makes his eye so good is that he does that work, you know. So hearing, hearing about how it is hard to do that work, and this is why I'm such a good artist. He doesn't make that leap, but it's implicit, and it's him being humble and not saying, "I know this looks phenomenal." By by instead describing how hard it was to do it, right? right? It's a weird humbleness too, right? Uh, but yeah, um, he's not. He's not Rafelson saying, oh, yeah, it's great. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, there is one other story from from Rafelson in one of the bonus features that I did want to talk about. And it's the one, it's in the bonus feature that also has Kovacs and, and Bruce Dern in it. Um, and they're talking about the, the dinner scene with Jason and David. Uh, where I guess they decided that Bruce Dern was not acting drunk in a realistic way. Yeah. So they got him drunk. A man who doesn't drink. So they so they secretly started feeding him actual alcohol in his Bloody Marys. Uh, and then when he was drunk, recorded him so that they could play it back when he was sober 
and he could see how he actually acts when he's actually drunk so that he could act drunk in a more realistic way, which isn't even a thing that you need to... <laughs> Bruce Dern is an actor. He doesn't need to see himself drunk he in order to, to know how to, how to act yes, as a drunk yeah, person. Like... Yeah, that's... that's... Uh, anyway. It's, it's all very stupid. One... It is... It is... It is... What it is ethic, ethically dubious at best. Right, it is. It is both uh, stupid two, and dubious. Not, yes, I. It is. It is. It, it is the best. It's not of even all dubious. Worlds. It's just unethical. It, yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> yeah. it is straight up just unethical. But, but like, but, I don't yeah. know. It's just so. It's all. It's just so stupid. It's like, and then they got him so um, like, but also, pitifully like insanely drunk. It's just like, come on, guys. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Here? Yeah, I am reminded from last week how how Bogdanovich was described as uh, as almost straight edge, and and just not fitting in with with the rest of the right. BBS guys because he didn't do coke, and then we get Bruce Dern this week who doesn't even drink. I wonder if he did anything else. Yeah, um, I, I mean, like, yeah, we're doesn't, doesn't still drink. In an era does where... just eat copious amounts of coke, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, during, this is such a phenomenally acted movie. Um, it's not, in my original notes, I, I, I said, I feel like it's not, it's maybe not the best written movie, but I think you made I a good really argument. I really like the writing of this movie, coherent. actually. Like, I, yeah. I don't know, like, it, 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 I don't really, I don't, I have a, I, after, after watching the BBS set and being largely very disappointed okay like i don't really have much to complain about but uh, other than the yeah. death scene <laughs> which is bad uh i really like the dying. way maybe they should have maybe they should have recorded bruce Dern actually dying right, right. shot so play that they it could back play it back him. for yeah. him and he could yeah. uh, you need to know what you look like when you die because but, yeah. you're not good at this uh yeah i yeah, know it's you're not doing it's, it right He's it. I I like I like the story. It, it does, of course, remind me yeah. heavily of the sort of later in the seventies sorts of um, yeah, you know these kinds of dramas. And I that's not a bad thing. That's something I I, I enjoy. Um, right, and and I say that this reminds me positively of the Casavetta stuff that we really right. loved. Whereas whereas something like. Uh, a safe place, as much as I loved it, reminded me negatively of the Casavetta stuff because Casavetta would have made that movie better. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A, a thing we did <laughs> but, talk about. Yeah. Is the yeah. is the idea that like mm, yeah. I know somebody who could do this better than you. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas this, you know, it it fits within the realm of that sort of you know somewhere somewhere between. Uh, uh, Somewhere between uh, the killing of a Chinese bookie and uh, and uh, uh, a woman under the influence is is the overlay that is this movie, right? <laughs> um, uh, and you know, I just think it it all works really well. Um, it's yeah, it. Yeah, I, 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 I really, I, it, it, it got to me in a way that I wasn't expecting it to. I was very satisfied with what I saw. I, I, I thought the writing. I did think the writing was pretty good. Um, I, and I think you know, it, it can be hard for me to separate writing and, uh, and, and performance because a very 
good performance can carry mediocre writing to the extent that like I don't even notice how the writing's not good. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's happened before; it'll happen again to me. Uh, so I I could also right. be easily convinced that the writing is terrible, and that like I was just responding exclusively to the performances. But like I don't think so. Uh, I I like how the movie no. No, engages the... with like the you know the characters and and the way that they their motivations and and yeah I I, I think it's just it's all carried off very well yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think it it works really, really well. Um, huh? The guy who wrote this, Jacob Brackman, uh, was an executive producer for Days of Heaven, the Terrence Malick film. Okay, yeah, yes. all right, I all right, yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't 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 make write the movie anything in any way other heaven. than like <laughs> what was a producer, producer of but it? like you know. <laughs> You know, Days of Heaven is in this sort of melodrama. It's, I mean, it's obviously much later. It's a, it's a different style as it got. We get later on in, in sort of time, but like, it's it. There, you can sort of feel a piece in there actually, anyway, because like you know that that this kind of drama. Partially, maybe it's just me feeling kind of nostalgic for that kind of drama. It, any kind of drama of this sort, you know, this. Uh, we don't get a lot of these kinds of movies. Uh, all that often, it feels like. I think if there was one thing that it could improve this movie, it would be more of Teddy the Wonder Boy. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm on board for that. Um, <laughs> I really want to know exactly no, what no. his act actually is. Um, all of, all of the sort of background bits in this movie of the people they interact with, of the old women wandering around Atlantic City, um, the, the the whole auctioneer sequence. Um. Well, the auctioneer sequence is really fascinating because the auctioneer sequence, like I can't entirely parse it. Like my brain just isn't capable of understanding. I do, but I don't at the same time. And it kind of just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. They're auditioning auctioneers for something within the universe of the film that doesn't pan out. Right. But I don't understand what it is. But then they're actually just, yeah, then they're actually just filming the auditions of real auctioneers, basically. Right. Yes, <laughs> which is which um, works well. I mean, like yeah. they're in, the auctioneers are interesting people. I agree with them completely. I like the guy who's I love. I adore the man who, like, as you can like in the most like Jersey accent, describes himself as Scottish. Describes yeah. himself as Scottish, and it's like, what's happening here right now? What are we doing? Yeah, uh, yeah we could actually. We could at least rule a, rule of three that and given us one I more. I would have really liked actually. one more. I I found myself yeah. longing for one more auctioneer. Yeah, um, <laughs> they were all just very uniquely weird in their own right. I, I loved. Which all I guess of them. auctioneers have yeah, to be. Yeah, but in order like to I love. I love. I the, but, I will. I will for. I will never forget you, as you can tell. I'm Scottish man. Yes, you are yes, beautiful. Yes, such a good guy. But yeah, then we segue to David and and Jason selling stuff to the old women in the same shop where presumably they were are, trying to get I, the auction. And I struggle so, mightily to understand are they getting him money or not because they seem to be selling the things for no money. Right. Like right. And he seems to yeah. acknowledge that the things are being sold for no money. 
I'm not clear what's happening. And then David tries to justify it by saying that they're raising his profile and his image. Image is everything. So these people these people will talk about how they got their stuff for free and that will bring more customers in, basically. Who will also expect things for free. Um, right, who also expect things for free. But the women are sort of trying to pay for things. You know, they're pulling out dollar bills and Right. And they're just they Jason just happen Gaverlet. to be asking for no money for those things. Right. Which right. does seem right. like yeah. it would cause so. a, a person selling things some amount of difficulty. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. What exactly is going on in that sequence? And and maybe that is the most surreal sequence because we don't get any justification for it and it doesn't really make sense even within universe. Um, I don't know. But but yeah, I think it's, it is meant to show them hustling. Uh, but at the same time, there's no sort of result of that hustling that we see. Right. So uh, yeah, it's a fun scene. Sure. But, but it's also what yeah. it is and why it exists in that yeah. space. Yeah. Um, one of the jokes in this movie I really, really, really loved uh, was when they're both sitting on horseback talking to one another. And and I, I think it's David says things are pretty weird around here. Maybe Jason says it. I can't remember which one. But one, they're already sitting on horses. But immediately after things are pretty weird around here, we cut to see them both looking at the, the elephant building. <laughs> Where where a bunch of other people on horseback are gathered, right? Around. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it's just it's a really fun cut. And we talked, you know, the the cut to Grandpa coughing uh, when we get back to the apartment and the reveal that he exists and is mad, right? Um, is, is 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 also really great. Moff, chef's it's, kiss. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I will give. Ravelson doesn't talk about that one, which is still weird to me. But yeah, boy, yeah, is should. that a very um, that is maybe the best thing he yeah. one of the best things that he has done. Yeah, way back with Head, uh, we had an interview with Rafelson where he talked about all of the editing he did for Head and, and like special effects and and weird and weirdo stuff, and he had said, "I never did that much editing for another movie." Uh, but this is also a movie that is built in the editing and and probably edited in camera so much, you know, just get the shots you know you need, right? Um, you know, and it's, and, and Rafelson accurately talks about this, how, you know, the beach scenes where he's filming things that are, you know, half a mile or more apart that are supposed to be coherently in the scene, they are coherently in the scene together. Yeah. And the fact that he is able to, uh, form that in editing and form that in, in production, you know, in, in directing when he's when they're making the movie to get the shots he needs to have for the edit. Uh, it does, you know, he, again, he is a talented guy. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Um, I, I agree. Yes. Uh, that is, and, you are right. It, I, I don't yeah. like listening to him talk. Uh, yeah, but, absolutely. Not. Yeah. He is very talented. <laughs> and like, when you consider the sort of way that these movies were made, it is pretty phenomenal that like, it's pretty phenomenal and, and does go to talent that like, Holy shit, I kind of it's shocking that these movies like work. Like at all, frankly. Yeah. Uh it's kind of a miracle. Right, right, right. And and you know, knowing knowing how much cocaine they were doing, it's even more shocking. Yeah, right. It's like <laughs> like I, it, it, it really is. And 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 it does really does point to talent that like they're able to pull this stuff off. Yeah. With that as a sort of added I assume they thought at the time it was a benefit. Uh, 
This is really helping us work Absolutely. really well. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I think probably that's not definitely... necessarily true, but yeah. Oh man. Again, I I mentioned it when when I talked about you know the paragraph from the essay that said people were getting shot in the BBS office. I think that Rafelson has a tendency to brag about violence in a bravado way that he doesn't actually uh, commit. Uh, but our first story from Rafelson way back with the head was him throwing, doing a bunch of coke and then throwing the monkey's new manager down a flight of stairs. Uh, and again, I don't think that ever actually happened. No, but, for sure it did um, not, right? Like, But... Uh, but uh, Apparently, equal parts in giving uh, giving Rafelson violent fantasies. Uh, the cocaine also helped him make good movies on occasion. So. I, okay, <laughs> so I'm gonna that. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that and say the cocaine did not stop him from making good movies. He yes. he succeeded in spite probably. of his cocaine habit, not because of it. That is yeah. That is not just a safer way to phrase that. It is probably, I think it is more accurate. no doubt, a more accurate like, way. I, it is, yeah. and as I, as I said a little bit earlier, I think that is a testament to the fact that he was a talented, you know, he is a talented director yeah. that he can it pull made it off through the cocaine. this shit despite being high as a fucking kite all the time. Well, I think it's time to pull the, both this episode and the whole BBS box set to a close. I'm talking about... Uh, America Lost and Found, the BBS story, a seven-part, or seven-entry, rather, box set from the Criterion Collection that uh, started seven weeks ago. Man. I, I um, But bear in mind, for you guys out there in the listening public, started seven weeks ago. For us, it was seven yeah. years ago. <laughs> it was something like seven years. It has been a very... Um, but very yeah. long time. We have been making. It's, I feel like we've been doing these forever. I I cannot get over how long this has felt. It has felt pretty long, but yeah, we watched Head, Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces, Drive. He said, A Safe Place, Last Picture Show, and finally this episode, The King of Marmot Gardens, all from BBS Productions in the late sixties and early seventies. Everything from nineteen sixty eight to seventy two. So in four years, those seven movies. And yeah, uh, some of them not that great. Nope. Uh, some of them definitely good. All of them certainly, as the Criterion Collection uh, write up puts it, uh, lifted right out of the countercultural id. It's just sometimes that countercultural id was bad. Yes. Uh, so, um, but yeah, King of Marvel Gardens, really great. Really happy to have ended it on this. Uh, obviously, chronologically, it ends on this. So there's that. But also, it is a it is a great film to end on, considering how uh, iffy we were at points during yes. the BBS box yes. set. Next week, we'll be watching Guillermo del Toro's 1992 uh, first film, his uh, independent horror film, Kronos. Really looking forward to that, just because it, it, phenomenal change of pace from, from uh, yeah, the BBS I'm just, I, I to mean, jump to 1992. Whether or not we like Toro. this last one so, or not, like I'm. I yeah. need something different. I I need, yeah, some variety in my life. And also, you know, just uh, excited to see Del Toro in the collection. I, I yes, I also like Guillermo uh, Del Toro quite a bit uh, as a director, and yeah. so I am excited as well. Well, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always the Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oitardorgan, and we'll see you next time.
Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter, at TheAdamGlass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter, at JPatrickDorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com, or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.